Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. How many times have you heard me say that whenever I get ready for a sermon, what do I do? I say, Father, what is that one thing that you're going to give us, right? He didn't fail us. We're going to get to something today. Look at this with me. And, and I want the people on the podcast to hear this. We're preaching on destiny. It's message three. Yes? Sorry. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30 is what we're going to read. But I called it, I called it a different gear. You had to help me downshift a little. All right? Okay. What I'm learning in the Word of God and what I want you to learn is every little teeny tiny detail matters. Every word God put in his Bible, every word he inspired, he inspired for a reason, right? When I think of that now, I can't read any scriptures in the Bible without saying, what's that there for? (laughs) What is that there for? Why did he say that, right? Or where have I seen that before? That's another question I have to ask. Because if you ask yourself that question and answer it, you go back and find out somewhere else in the Bible where that subject's mentioned, and you ask yourself then, why does it say it here, and why does it say it there, and you'll start seeing the big picture. You start seeing what God's saying. You start seeing what God's doing in the lives of people. And David Platt taught us that we can't be guilty of Uh, universalizing the scripture and saying that something happened to one person, it happens to everybody. That's not necessarily true, is it? We've learned that. But neither can we minimalize it and say that God said it to him, he'd never say it to me. You You can't minimalize it or overstate it, right? Keep that in mind today as we go through the word. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I'm starting to add a little something to every sermon that I preach, so that if we ever... I mean, we're posting these on our website at lifespringak.com, and the notes are there. If you go to the notes, you're always going to find a little one-line synopsis I put in there that gives me and you the goal for the sermon. What I said, well, this message will help people understand that God uses our good, our bad, and bitter experiences to point us to our destiny so he can fulfill his plan. I will give clarity to that, because this doesn't mean that we should go out and do bad things so God can use them for our good. Amen? Amen? But, but you can just look around the room with this much human nature in four walls and know that some bad decisions have been made along the way. Amen? And that God can still turn the tables on the devil if we let him. Amen? You know, I wrote this down. A hammer and a chisel in the hands of a sculptor can turn a piece of stone into a work of art. And, and one of the most huge and amazing things I'd ever seen was when all of our children were real, real little. In 1989, the week after Christmas, we drove north to Alaska. And we stopped in South Dakota, and we saw Mount Rushmore. I mean, 
How many of you have seen Mount Rushmore before? I don't care whether it's four presidents' faces in the side of a mountain or it's, uh, uh, you know, Michelangelo's David. I don't, I don't care what it is. You take a rock, you take a rock and a chisel and a hammer, and you've got the ability to take that chisel and that hammer and smack on that thing, and when you're finished, you've got a work of art. I mean, think about it. I can't fathom it because that sounds like a whole lot of work to me. <laughs> you know, coupled with some really great talent that I don't have, right? I don't have it. I may have told you this before, but I'll, I'll tell you again. How many of you ever been in an interview where they asked you, um, tell me more about one of your weaknesses? Ever had that happen? I used to hate that, and it dawned on me. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I know exactly what to say, what, what my weakness is. I know very well how God made me. He made me with a deep, burning desire to be a perfectionist, and then he didn't put any tools in the toolbox for me to help pull it off, <laughs> right? So I lived somewhat of a frustrated lifestyle. You can ask my wife. When we, in the early days of our marriage, she'd say, do you think you could wash the dishes for me while I'm gone today? I'd go, yeah, but inside I'm going, I don't think so. I, I, <laughs> you know, why? Because she would come in in the afternoon from work, and I'd be in the middle of the floor, and everything would be out of the cabinets. Everything would be out on the floor and on the countertops, and I'd be cleaning and organizing the cabinets. And it would drive her nuts. It drove me nuts, right? And so I had to rearrange. I didn't have the talent to just wash dishes, but I had this freaking desire to organize everything, right? Okay, here's the point. I'm, I'm trying to... With each blow, as a hammer strikes the chisel, chunks of stone fall away, eventually revealing a beautiful sculpture. Though the process of chipping away at the stone seems harsh and unyielding, the result is well worth the effort. How many of you know God's chiseling on you right now? And he's the best artist, the greatest. The, the, don't anybody come even close to him. Likewise, when God gets his hands on our joyful and our painful experiences, listen to me now. Our joyful and our painful experiences, he can turn our lives into masterpieces that display his glory and channel his blessings to others. God will use our skills, our training, our interests to help us discover our purpose in life. He'll also turn our failures and sin. Listen to me, I've got to be careful about this, but hear me out. He'll also turn our failures and our sin into opportunities to form us into people he created us to be. Don't get hung up on that. I'm going to clarify that. And even when we face injustice, persecution, and an unbearable tragedy, and there are people in this room that have, amen, maybe all of us, God will transform our pain into a passion for him if we let him. Some of the primary tools God uses to help us identify our divine design destinies are our experiences. God is able to thread together the good, the bad, and the bitter experiences that life has taken us through to shape a beautiful masterpiece of destiny and to accomplish his purpose in our lives. Point number one, God uses all of our experiences to bring him glory. Not much to this point, because we're going to break it down. And here's what I got to say. You remember in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 through 30, God sovereignly works through all of our experiences to glorify himself and achieve what is best for his children through good 
through bad, through bitter, doesn't matter. Experiences, God prepares us for our destiny. I'm going to move straight to point two. God uses our good experiences to fulfill his plan. God experiences, good experiences are the positive things that have happened as a result of God's will and your good choices, period. That's what the good things. It's all about God, amen? How many of you know we're not smart enough even to make the right choices on our own? We've got to rely on God, amen? God can and often uses your good experiences, your education, sometimes even people you know. I'm going to clarify that. Sometimes family, etc., to craft you specially to be fulfilled in your God-ordained destiny. How do I know this? Have you ever applied for a job and all of the moon, the stars, and the planets and everything were lined up? You had a great resume. You knew people. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Everything seemed all lined up. And you interviewed for the job and you walked away from it thinking, that was a great interview. I got it made, right? Only to never receive another call. Not, you didn't get the job. You know, that's just God saying, I didn't want you to have that. Now, if God wants you to have that, God lines all that up, and he lets these people who interview you see the gift that he's put inside of you, and you couldn't not get the job if you wanted to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those are the things that when God's in charge and God... I can tell you right now, there were several jobs that I applied for when I was out there on the pipeline that I should have gotten. And, and all of my guys said... Sarge has applied for this job. He's leaving. And then I didn't get the job. Well, they were flabbergasted. I said, why are you flabbergasted? If I was supposed to get the job, I'd have got the job. But did or did not God have a different plan for me? I hope you recognize that. <laughs> I hope you do. Humbly, I hope you do, right? God didn't want me to do any of those other jobs. He didn't want me to take on all that other responsibility. God had a higher plan for me, right? And when I let God make the decisions for me, it all works out. Look at this. God took Saul's training as a Pharisee. Think about this. And he sanctified it. I'm going to show you in the Word. And used it to prepare the converted Paul to craft the theological foundation of the church in the New Testament letters he wrote. In Acts 22, verse 3. Acts 22, verse 3. You need to make a note or you need to look it up with me. Acts 22, verse 3, Paul cited this fact. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as you are this day. What was he saying? He was pointing out something he had to come with them so that they would listen to him. God used his background. God used his education. God used all of those things that he put together to make Paul who he was so that he could preach this gospel. Amen? Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. What did Jesus just do? He called some men to follow him, and he used terminology from their background and training in fishing. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They understood that. Amen? God used Moses' training in the royal Egyptian household to give him access to redeem God's people. In Exodus chapter 3, 
Verse 10, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Do you realize that Moses, had he not had the background that he had, hadn't been raised in that home, he might not even have gotten an audience with Pharaoh. But God used all of those things that he shaped, and he did, in the life of Moses to bring about the deliverance of the children of Israel. How about Esther? What did God use about Esther? I mean, let's face it. What did he use? He used her beauty. Read the Word of God. God used Esther's beauty, right? God used Esther's beauty to make her the queen so she could save his people. In Esther, chapter 4, verse 14, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God had used her entire life to bring her to the point where she could be used by him to save the nation of Israel. Amen? So, God can use the good things, right? Point number three, God uses your bad experiences to achieve his will. Bad experiences are mistakes, sins, failures, consequences and regrets, regrets that have occurred because of your own choices. Listen to this. God can take your bad experiences and turn them into tools to bring them glory. Now, you think back on some of them right now, and you go, I don't see, see how I can do that. <laughs> but God's God. God can pull a camel through the eye of a needle. Amen? Now, you've got to listen to this very carefully. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan's demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. This story tears me up because... I see myself in Peter and how God could still love me and how God could still love you. But he does. And he loved Peter. He even knew what was coming in Peter's life and he still loved him. I used to really love to read about history all the time. And Winston Churchill said that, in his opinion, success is moving from one failure to the next without losing any enthusiasm. <laughs> You know, there's, some, there's something about that. You know, there's something about him saying that. I think it's pretty powerful. Listen to this. We must learn from our failures and the consequences of bad choices and be humbled so that God can use them for his good. Now, listen to this. I had to pin it because I saw something. How did God bring Peter back after he denied Jesus? Now, you, you know the story. He denied Jesus in the court, right? And then later, when Jesus hooked up with seven of the disciples, he was on the shore, uh, and he called out to them. He said, have you caught anything? Do you remember that? Have you caught anything? And they said, no. He said, and as soon as he said, cast your net on the other side, John knew who he was. Why? Because he had seen Jesus do this very same thing before. Cast out on the other side. 
And John immediately turned to Peter and said, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Well, they went ahead and cast a net, but Peter didn't. He dove in, grabbed his clothes, dove in, and swam to shore. Now, what was Jesus doing when Peter got there? I, I looked at it, and I said, there's got to be something significant about this. Something big was about to happen. We, don't, we pay attention to the conversation that Jesus, after they ate breakfast, he said to Peter three times, three different ways, Peter, do you love me? Why? Because it was Jesus dealing with the Peter who had denied Christ. Right? This was huge. It was giant. But here's the thing. The amazing thing is that he got to shore, and it says that Jesus was cooking fish over a charcoal fire. And I, you think to yourself, where, where have I heard that phrase before? You look up the Greek word for charcoal fire, and it's in the Bible twice. When Jesus was cooking his breakfast, it was over a charcoal fire. But if you go back in history... Peter stood in the courtyard warming his hands over a charcoal fire that had been made by those soldiers that were going to kill Jesus. And Jesus took him back to that place. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he questioned him, Peter, do you love me? Something as simple as a charcoal fire. I wrote, the Greek word for charcoal is only used two times in the New Testament. Once when Peter was warming his hands over a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus in John chapter 18, verse 18. John 18, 18. And the other time was when Jesus cooked Peter's breakfast over the charcoal fire. God took Peter back to the place of his failure. To the charcoal fire where he denied his Lord and he humbled him. And then told him to feed his sheep. By asking him three times, Peter, do you love me? That's a whole nother sermon in itself. But do you understand the simplicity of the truth of the word of God? If Jesus could be that intricately involved in the life of Peter, and we can't sit here to answer, well, pastor, he loved Peter more than he loved me. No. He loves you just exactly the way he loved Peter. And he knows. He knows all of the intricacies. He knows the purposes for which he brings you full circle. Amen? It's not so he can destroy you. It's so he can rebuild you. He can recreate you. Get you ready for what he really has for you to do. God took Peter back to the place of his failure. To the charcoal fire where he denied his Lord. Humbled him and told him to find or feed his sheep. Finally, Peter was ready to help others. You get the drift of the story? Point number four. Listen to this one carefully. God uses your bitter experiences to accomplish his desires. Listen carefully. Bitter experiences are the things that, you, that have happened to you, but they're not your fault. How many of you have ever had anything that happened to you that's not your fault? You didn't make it happen. You didn't cause it to happen. How many of you know the Bible says rain falls on the just and the unjust? Amen? Bad things happen to good people sometimes, right? Bitter experiences are the things that have happened to you but that are not your fault, such as abandonment, abuse, 
neglect, injustice, disease. I mean, the, long, the list can go on and on and on, and there's no wiser wherefores. You, you, you're not going to get answers for those questions. Only that there's still a God in heaven. Jesus Christ still died on the cross for your sins. God's still chiseling on your life. Amen? In his timing, listen to this. This is, oh, this is, I'm going to read this paragraph again. Bitter experiences are the things that have happened to you, but they are not your fault, such as abandonment, abuse, neglect, injustice, disease, etc., etc. Joseph was born into a dysfunctional family, sold by his brothers, wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, sent to jail unjustly, and then forgotten by everybody but God. In his timing, God elevated Joseph to a position of influence. And if you read the story over and over and over again, I challenge you to find one spot where Joseph was bitter over it. Where he allowed it to, I mean, bury him. I mean, bury him. It didn't bury him. I believe that he and I and anybody else would be discouraged when you've talked to people that you've helped and they were supposed to go and tell the king about you and they didn't do it. I'm sure that was discouraging. Amen? Amen? He saw God's hand working through evil people and injustice to put Joseph in a position to save his family and his people. My point was that Joseph didn't let bitterness take over. That's the point, right? In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God was always with Joseph, enabling him to withstand the trials. As Joseph recognized God's sovereignty, he trusted him and didn't allow bitterness to take root in his heart. In Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 through 23, And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. How many of you have been through some things in your life you don't understand? I mean, if your hand doesn't shoot up because there is no gravity, I don't know, you know. I mean, everybody feels like that one time or another they were treated unjustly, and some of us more so than others, you know. And um, it boggles the mind. Now, let me do a point of clarification before we close this sermon out. Yes, bad experiences can be used by God, can they not? Well, the human mind, human nature would think, well, then I need to go do more bad things because I want to give God more stuff to work with. (laughs) No. Do you remember in Romans where Paul was teaching us about the law and versus grace, right? He said, because of grace, should I sin more that grace abounds, right? No, heaven forbid, it says in the King James Version. I like the heaven forbid. (laughs) No, he shouldn't sin more. Should we do more stupid stuff so that God can use it for his glory? Heaven forbid. Don't be ridiculous. But I can tell you right now, 
I, I don't even like to dwell for a minute on the stupid things I've done in my life. All I know is I've turned them all over to God. And when you do that, even all of those things become a recipe that God has used to bring you where you're at today. To use you where you're at. Amen? You know, sometimes he says, take another trip around Mount Sinai. Time to take another trip around Mount Sinai to get back to the charcoal fire that you warmed your hands over while you denied Christ. You know, there are those of us who are goofy enough today to think, man, I can't believe Peter did that. I'd never do that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that amazes me that anyone could come in here when you're thinking like that. Three more messages on destiny. Three more. God's got a lot more to say to us.